Thanks, Tracy. <laughs> That's quite the doozy of a passage. Good morning, friends. How are we, church? Doing all right? Awesome. My name is Scott. I'm one of the uh, shepherds here on staff. I get the privilege of serving with our kids and students team, and I absolutely love it. I'm so thankful to be a part of our team here and grateful for the opportunity to share with you this morning from God's word. So as you guys heard through that doozy of a passage, uh, there's a lot there. There's a whole lot there. And it's all from this perspective of looking at Jacob's life, which we've now gotten to the very end of. I mean, you can say it with me. Genesis 49 is one chapter away from Genesis 50, which is the end. So we have one more week in Genesis. And then we are going to be over the hump. It's been a beautiful ride. Uh, but we are definitely excited to see what God has next to teach us through this next season. But this whole book of Genesis is just this overarching display of blessing. We see it written all the way through, going all the way back to Genesis 3, when we talk about the seed that's going to come from the woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent. That's where the beginning of blessing starts, overcoming the curse, right? And it gets passed through Noah and through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then we're going to continue to find out more about this blessing here. And this journey of blessing is really kind of like at its height right here at the very end of Jacob's life, when he's 147 years old and looking for the very last thing he wants to say to his kids. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I, when I read something like this, I just think to myself, what would I want to do? If I was in my last hours, last days, I knew the end of life was coming. What are the things I would invest my time in? Where would I spend my time? What would I, what would I do? Who, what activities would I participate in? What would I say? Who would I spend my time with? And at the end of the day, I think there's no better theologian for us to ask that question to than Tim McGraw, right? Would you agree? (laughs) Country Western singer Tim McGraw says for us in the song, live like you were dying. He's alliterating to the fact that there is this idea of coming to the end of your life. And he says, what'd you do? And he says, I went skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I'd sing this for you, but my voice doesn't sound like these guys. But then he goes on after those fun things. I think all of us would wrestle with fun things we'd want to do. Like, what do we want to do in the last days of our life? And then he said, I'd love deeper, speak sweeter, and give forgiveness that I've been denying. That's what life might look like at the end of our journey, right? We might speak a little bit sweeter to people might love a little bit deeper. We might actually give forgiveness in places that we've been holding on to. But the question that remains for me over and over is why wait? Why, why do we wait for these things? The patriarchal blessing at the time of the scriptures here is part of the regular routine and culture. It's what you do. Sons would wait for their fathers to give them this blessing at the end of his life. It was an important deal, kind of speaking into what their future would look like, but also speaking into their character, their value, who they are, according to their father's opinion. And somewhere along the line, we've kind of lost sight of this. We'll talk about more of this at the end. But right here in this moment with Jacob at 147 years old, he gathers his boys together in a room. For the first time, they're all together in a long time. And with literally his last breath, we read, we read what we just heard from Tracy, this long prophetic and poetic journey of him explaining to these boys what it, what it says here in verse 1, which is, that I will tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. So this blessing, it says in verse 28 that it's a blessing to these boys. It says these are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. So we know this blessing is going to impact not only his sons, but the generations to follow his sons. 
But he also says, this is what's to come. So he kind of gives this prophetic message as well as the blessing to come alongside of it. It's a weird mixed match. And you're going to see it doesn't exactly look like the blessing that we would always think a blessing should look like. But we're going to dive into it. So start with me here in verse 3. He starts with Reuben. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Stop there for a second. Again, all the brothers in a room, sitting around watching dad breathe his final breaths. And he looks at his oldest son, Reuben, and he says, you're my firstborn. You're my pride and joy. Powerful, mighty, preeminent, right? Superior over the others. And you've got to figure at this moment that Reuben's kind of going, uh-huh. You know, like chest is kind of coming out, looking at his brothers like, you guys hear that? Double portion, right? Like he's got to be feeling pretty good about himself, even though he knows about his life not being great. And yet... Jacob comes in and kind of throws a little bit of a curveball here. And he says, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went before, you went up to your, your father's bed and you defiled it. You went up to my couch. He refers back to Genesis 35, where we find out that Reuben actually slept with Bilpah to try to gain power and authority. He snuck in and was deceitful and made that awful, awful kind of discrediting sin in his life. And Jacob calls it out. And it doesn't mean that Jacob doesn't still bless Reuben, but what it means is that there is natural consequence that comes to Reuben because of his sin. And he's feeling the weight of responsibility in that. Jacob calls him unstable as water. That's brutal. I don't know if you guys have ever been, remember Dairy Queen? There's not a lot of those around anymore. But if you remember Dairy Queen, they'd make a thing called the Blizzard. Anybody know what that is? Let's throw your hands up real quick. Okay. If you remember, Blizzard was like a like a milkshake, and they'd stir it up really good. They'd put some mix-ins in it, and it would be nice and tight in the cup, right? And at the very end, after, after you'd order your blizzard, they'd turn it upside down, and they'd do this. Like, you see how snug that thing is in the cup? It's not going anywhere, right? Now, we know water wouldn't work that way, right? Water's unstable. If you swish your cup around, it's coming all over the place. I can tell you because I have kids who carry their water cups all over the house, and they spill everywhere all the time, right? Water's unstable. It moves back and forth. It swishes and swashes back and forth. And ultimately, it's unstable. He looks at Reuben and says, you are unstable as water. You're turbulent. Your character is unstable. And so he loses his birthright. And what we come to find out is the reality, not only for Reuben, but also for this tribe to follow, is that that tribe would never produce a prophet or a judge or a king. The descendants would be characterized by a lack of leadership, integrity. That was the blessing that was handed to Reuben in this moment. It's difficult to read. Moving on, verse 5, it says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Now you got to think, hey, a little bit here they're thinking, well, if Reuben lost his birthright, we're next in line, right? Nope. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. Oh, my glory, not be joined in their company. For their anger, they killed men. In their willfulness, they have hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. In their wrath, for it is cruel. Jacob just calls it out. Looking back to Genesis 34, we've talked about this story. But Simeon and Levi wipe out the Shechemites, and they do it in a horrible way. And as a result of that, much like Reuben, they're now because of their character, losing out on something that could be really great, not only for themselves, but for the generations to follow. We get a picture of character in this piece. We get a picture of Jacob calling out the fact that he doesn't want to associate with them. He would not seek after their counsel. 
because of their anger, because of their wrath, because of their cruelty. And you guys know there's people in our lives that we do life with that are like this. You spend time with them, right? We have, we have friends that you go, why are you angry all the time? Why are you always looking to tear somebody else down? Why are you seeking dissension all the time and pulling away and creating division? Those people we should not associate with. Jacob says he wouldn't do it. He says, oh, my soul. Not come in their counsel. Do not want to receive any wisdom or accompaniment from these type of men. And he just calls it straight. And again, Simeon and Levi wrestle with that, not only in their own journey now hearing this, but with their tribes that come to follow. And this feels really harsh. It doesn't feel a lot like blessing, right? You're thinking, this is a cool moment. He's gathered all his boys. They're all going to come together. And it's going to be this really beautiful picture of, I love you. And here's what I love about you. And sometimes blessing comes as truth and it's hard to hear. But again, I really believe wholeheartedly, Jacob must have spent time with God on this. These words were not spewed out of his mouth. They're so poetic and they're so prophetic. And we find out later in scripture as we look forward that all of these things actually come true from these men, from the tribes that come to follow them. So God's a part of this conversation with Jacob. He's leaned into God to look for wisdom and God has given him the words to say as difficult as it may seem. But here we go. Verse eight, this is where it gets a little more beautiful. It says, Judah, Your brother shall praise you. In fact, his name means praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down and crouches as a lion and the lioness who dares rouse him. Judah wasn't perfect either, but he showed humility and character over the journey. He turned his life around and Jacob blesses him. Blesses him by saying, your brothers will praise you. They'll bow down before you. You have your hand on the neck of your enemies, right? There's authority here given to Jacob. As we continue to move on, we hear him called a lion, right? A lioness. And we know from the song that we sang earlier that the lion of Judah, Jesus, is going to come out of the tribe of of Judah, right? That from this tribe, from his family line is going to come eventually the Messiah. And he's calling him a lioness here. He's giving a picture of the messianic promise that's to come a glimpse forward, and at the same time, blessing Judah for his character. He says this in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. In other words, he will rule and he will reign until tribute comes to him. This is Jesus. And to him shall be the obedience of all people. So Judah, you, you will be like a lion. You will rule, you will reign, you have authority. Your brothers will bow down and praise you. And from your line will come the Messiah, this great gift of blessing that even though we look back at Reuben and Simeon and Levi, and it feels like a little bit hurtful and sad, the hope of a blessing that we have in the person of Judah is glorious. And God promises, much like he did from the beginning, again, through this blessing that starts in Genesis 3 and runs all the way through, that through the line of Judah will come a a Messiah, will come Jesus. King David will come from that line, and then Jesus will come to follow And we have this great, beautiful picture. It says, binding his foal to the vine and the donkey's colt to the choice vine. There'll be an abundance, basically. He has washed his garments in wine. There'll be so much wine that it's like water. You could use it to wash your clothes. There'll be an abundance during this season. Judah's tribe will be really blessed. And Jacob is just pouring that on him. Now, as we move forward, we see a bunch of other brothers here. And we're not going to spend our time in those. There's just way too much in this passage. But as you continue to look through them, and if you go back and read them, you'll see there's so much imagery. Jacob uses so many words to describe them that are so interesting. And again, each of those things are given as like a present blessing and a character acknowledgement of these men. And that also points to the future 
to the prophetic future of what will come from their tribes. It's beautiful. We can't cover it all. So I'm going to move forward and go down to verse 22. And we're going to dive into Joseph as the last brother we're going to talk about in this blessing. Verse 22 says this, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attack him, shot at him and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. There is a great blessing over Joseph. We know that through the journey of his life. And we know that some of the things that Jacob's even saying here have already come to fulfillment. We know that there were arrows thrown at him. We know that his brothers were after him. The Potiphar's wife was after him. But he's received such great blessing in his standing in the culture, right? It's amazing. But he's not done. Jacob is not done pouring blessing on Joseph. He goes on to say this. And the description of this, I think, is amazing by the guy. One of the commentators that I read said this. This blessing that Jacob heaps on Joseph, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, on Joseph, is the finale of a firework display. It's like when you're watching fireworks, we all just got doing this and you got like, and then all of a sudden the finale comes and it's bam, 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 bam. That's what this blessing is like. Here's what it looks like. Verse 25, by the God of your father who helped you, by the almighty who will bless you with blessings in heaven above, blessings in the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And if you look back again, if you look at verse 24 at the end, it talks about how Joseph always had the mighty hand of God with him. He trusted God. He leaned into God. He didn't sway when things got difficult. The unstable water that Jacob describes of Reuben was not true of Joseph. And the reality of that is Joseph is now incredibly blessed and receives this great blessing from his father, And then they go through Benjamin, and then it says this in verse 28 again, all of these are the tribes of Israel. This is that prophetic pointing forward. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each of them with the blessings suitable to them. And then he gives instructions on his burial. And then it says this, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Literally, his last breaths. This whole story, this whole picture in Genesis 49 is all about blessing. But the question that really remains and it's kind of is like the, the potent piece for me is why is it at the end of life that we wait to do this? Why is it in our last moments that we share these things? Now, I know the unique prophetic nature of this points to the fact that maybe some of these things had to happen in order for Jacob to be able to communicate what God has told him or that they've worked together as he's listened to God to communicate to his sons. But in the story of our life and the way that we live life today, we wait till the very end. I actually had a unique opportunity this last week with two of my best friends whose dad was passing away. I got to stand at the end of his bed in some of his last moments. And I got to speak into his life some of the ways in which he encouraged me so deeply as a young man, as a junior high kid, as a high school kid, as a guy who did ministry that I looked up to, spoke into the fact that he's raised amazing sons who have amazing wives and amazing kids and how grateful I was for his investment in my life, even as a second dad at times. And then I walked away and I couldn't help but think, why did I wait till now in his last moments to share these things that were so valuable that I really believe would have been a great blessing to him along the journey? And, we, and I waited. But that's what we do. 
we wait, even though we know how huge blessing is, even though we know the fact that blessing is literally part of how we're defined in Ephesians 1, right? It says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're given these blessings because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Because of the fact the Messiah came and overran and overtook the curse of the world by paying the penalty on the cross and rising again and conquering sin and death, we have spiritual blessings in Christ because of our faith and trust in him, because of what he's done for us. And we have that overflowing out of us and yet we hold on to it. We don't practice it like they used to. It's not the same rhythm that it used to be in. In fact, one of my friends this week came and gave me a book and one of the chapter titles of the book basically says, how can we retrieve the lost art of blessing? How do we retrieve it? How do we rediscover it? How do we rekindle what is so vitally important in scripture? And we read about in chapter 20, I'm sorry, chapter 49 here, but literally is sprinkled all throughout the Old Testament and even the new. Why do we leave it hanging? What happened in our culture that we forgot about blessing? How do we practice it again? Well, there's three things as I've wrestled through blessing this week and really stirred over it that continue to come to mind for me that speak to the way that blessing happens. The first one is this. I really believe that blessing happens through sacrifice. And it doesn't necessarily take a large sacrifice to see it happen, but it comes through sacrifice. I'll tell you a story. I, with my family, was cruising up to Bass Lake a few years ago. And uh, as we're cruising down the highway, I'm realizing we need some gas. So we stop in Pasadena and we're getting ready to get off the freeway to go to the gas station. And I see a homeless guy who's standing in the center divider and he's holding up a sign that says, in deep need, God bless you. And I'll be honest, usually I'm not quick to give cash to people. I just, I don't like it. I'm I'm quick to go buy a burrito or a burger if I have time. I'll sit with somebody. I just don't usually give cash. So I kind of pulled one of those deals where as we're driving by, you know, you're kind of doing this thing, like hoping you're not going to get eye contact with the guy because then you feel bad and whatever. I, that's my own weakness I'm sharing with you guys. But that's, that's where I was at. And I'm sitting at the light and he's right here with his sign, right? And I'm like ignoring him and getting ready to go to the gas station. I pull into the gas station. I get to the pump. I start filling up the car. And as I'm standing there, my kids are in the car. My wife's in the car. They have no idea what I'm doing. They think I'm just filling up gas. I look over and I see this guy again. And for whatever reason, I can't shake it. I can't. And I'll tell you, I don't like sharing stories about things I do right, but there's other side to this. You'll see it. But ultimately, I, I run out to the center to devour it. I reach in my wallet. I pull out a little wad of cash and I hand it to him, expecting that I gave him five or six bucks, you know. And I just said, God bless you. And I ran back to the car. My kids didn't know it. Wife didn't know it. And I started repumping fuel into the car. And I didn't think anything of it. I thought a couple of bucks isn't going to hurt me. Why would, I, why would I hesitate? Why did I play this game, Right. While I'm standing there, I finished pumping the gas. I put the gas pump back on the machine and I close up the car. And then as I look over back to the center divider, I see this homeless guy and he's just weeping, weeping. And he's staring right at me. And he looks me in the eyes and he just smiles and waves with tears falling down his face. Now, I'll be honest. My first reaction was, oh, no. I pulled a bunch of cash out for this trip. What if I gave him hundreds instead of ones? That literally went through my mind. And that's how sad it is. I literally thought, did I pull from the wrong side of the wallet? You know, like I don't carry hundreds ever, but we were going on a big vacation. I, maybe that's why he's bawling, right? Maybe there's something that was really deep that happened there. And I'm sadly pathetic enough that I got in the car and actually looked, you know, like I'm like, did I give him all hundreds? Sure enough, I, I didn't. Did God turn my ones into hundreds? I don't know. But something in that moment, for whatever reason, from me running from my car out to a center divider, looking this guy in the eye, telling him, God bless you, and giving him a couple bucks or whatever it was, 
caused weeping on him and absolutely changed my perspective on the way that I treat people who are in need like that. Because it wasn't just a blessing to him, it was a huge blessing to me. I recognized that there's something unique in the way that when we give and when we sacrifice, that God also pours and heaps blessing back on us. It's a great gift to help those who are in need. It's a great gift to sacrifice and then to see the reward of what God does to use that in powerful ways. So blessing comes through sacrifice. Second thing is blessing comes through intentionality. Interesting story just this week. I'm at a Stater Brothers right across the street. My son has a water polo party at her house, so I'm going. I had just cleared COVID, so I was all excited. I'm like, finally, I can go back to the grocery store. And uh, I'm shopping, and I'm picking up a bunch of groceries, and I'm actually pretty frustrated. They ran out of root beer jugs. For some reason, everyone was buying mug root beer and a and It's all gone, all of it, right? So I'm frustrated. I'm cruising through the store like, you've got to be kidding me. I've got to go to a second grocery store, and I'm all flustered and upset. I'm cruising through the aisles, and I see Bob Patterson, one of the men in our church who I love. And I see him from a distance, and as I'm cruising by him, kind of my little, whatever, snippy, angry personality at the time, I'm like, hey, Bob, good to see you, bud. And I'm cruising past. And Bob goes, oh, hey, Scott. And he pushes his cart aside, and then he walks around the corner of the aisle and stands and just starts talking to me. And he starts asking me questions. How, how are you doing? How's the ministry? How did, how did Hume Lake go? What's, how, what's happening with VBS? What's God doing in your life? He starts just rolling out all these personal questions. And he's asking intentionally all these things that are so valuable for me to sit and process. And in the midst of a week of COVID and missing out on VBS and feeling frustrated and being flustered in my own hurry to go buy root beer, I missed it. But Bob, through his simple intentionality, blessing me through intentionality, pushed his card aside and came in and started asking questions. Our little three-minute conversation that was just a few questions for him turned into times when we're like on the verge of tears talking about the future of our church, the hope we have for the next generation, the dreams we have for what God will do in this place over the next season to unite us and bring us together to see glorious, glorious things happen in our neighborhoods within these seats, with our kids. And he's in tears and he gives me this big hug and tells me that he loves me. And I was able to voice back to him the value of a man like him in our church and how important he is and the gift he is to our younger generation that he's here and committed and invested and that he loves our church and that he loves the people and that he's holding on to what God's called him to. And in that moment, I'm sure people are walking by going, what is happening with these guys? You know, like this is a grocery store, go somewhere else. But it was beautiful. And I don't just go sit in my car regularly. I'm not the guy that just kind of goes and sits and thinks. I just got in the car and just sat. And thought, Lord, thank you for that great gift. In the midst of my hurry, in the midst of my discouragement from the week, tiredness, you placed Bob Patterson in my life to love me and bless me and care for me through kind words. And I believe wholeheartedly that it was God's words through Bob that spoke to my heart that day. And as I'm teaching this lesson now, as I'm wrestling through these topics, I'm thinking, yes, blessing comes through sacrifice. Blessing comes through intentionality. The simple step of just seriously pushing a cart aside and walking around the end of an aisle can change somebody's day, week, month, year, life. And then lastly, blessing comes through listening to God and then acting on it. Again, as we look back at Jacob, these words that he put, so eloquently together, did not come spur to the moment. There's no way. I'm sure Jacob spent time with God. 
wrestling over words he needed to say to his sons. They were prophetic in nature, and so there was future coming from them. Or God used them prophetically eventually in the lives of his kids. However that worked out, God was involved. But Jacob had to listen. I think in our journey sometimes we're so rushed, grocery stores or wherever it might be, that we don't take the time to just stop and listen and ask God maybe who it might be that needs to hear a blessing from us. Maybe who needs to hear kind words or have a kind act that would love them well and care for them well. It's interesting. I was teaching a seminar years ago on high school ministry parents about loving our kids well and making an impact on them and yada, yada, yada. And in the midst of that, there was a phrase at the very end of this one article that I read that said, one of the things your kids need most is for you not just to tell them that you love them. They expect that. But your kids need you to grab them by the cheeks, look them in the eyes, and tell them that you like them and why. And I thought that was really, really interesting at the time. And honestly, it's kind of profound. Our kids expect us to tell them we love them, right? We can say we love you, and it's kind of like a tossed around word in in, in our households. But to, to look someone, grab them, and intentionally see them and tell them what we like about them, about their character, about how God designed them, about the way that they're wired and who they are, speaks miles. And so I want to practice that. I want to be a dad who does that more regularly. I'm not good at this stuff. I'm not good at slowing down and taking those times, but the combination of sacrificing time or whatever it is and intentionally leaning in and listening to God for the words that are supposed to be said to my kids or to my neighbors or to my friends or to my staff or to whoever, I want to be a person who does that, just overflows with blessing all the time because I know I'm incredibly blessed. I want to be an overflow of that. You know, as we talk about patriarchal blessing, this is a big deal again in the Old Testament, big deal all through scripture. We've lost a little bit of of it in our culture today. But it's not a science either. It's just a response to the Holy Spirit when we get nudges, right? My dad actually... Unlike my friend who I was visiting, my my dad didn't die a slow death. He died quickly in the middle of the night. So we didn't really have the opportunity to say goodbye and say those final words or have those last moments, kind of like the Jacob at 147 years old is able to kind of put together here. Uh, It was abrupt. And so you missed that last moment. But I look back and I'm incredibly grateful because I had a dad for whatever reason, by the grace of God, who knew how to do this well. And when my dad passed and it was shocking and sad, I wasn't shaken in it simply because my dad always was quick to tell me these things. He would stop. He would take time. He would be intentional. He would look me in the eyes and he would tell me things he's proud of. He didn't wait till the end of his life to do it. And I'm so grateful because if he had, I would have missed out a lot. And I know the reality is a lot of us missed out on that. For a lot of us, our fathers did not play the role that maybe we would hope for in this way. They didn't pour blessing on us and encourage us and speak kind words from the Lord the way we would, we would desire them to be done. But the reality is we have a God who loves us so deeply and who does that daily, constantly speaking truth into our lives, using other people, using his word, using our time in prayer, whatever it looks like, God speaks those truths into you. It's true of his character. He loves you. He adores you. He wants to bless you. He already has blessed you and will continue to bless you. And that blessing that we receive, this overabundance of blessing that we now have because of Christ is our opportunity to now go and be a blessing to those around us. What if we revealed Christ as a church in a way that people around us knew the love of Christ because they felt blessed by us? Whether it be in our circles, in our families, in our neighborhoods, 
again, in these seats, in our ministries here on campus, anywhere, in our workplaces, that people would know Jesus because they look at our lives and go, they, that, that church, there's something about those people who love Christ and they just bless others. I feel blessed. I feel known. I feel valued. I feel cared for by them. What if we acted out in sacrifice? If we acted out in intentionality? What if we listened so closely to God and we actually walked closely with God so much so that we would know the right times to step in and to love people well the way they need to be loved? We've lost this art of blessing somewhere along the way, but the value of it has not gone away. How do we embrace it? How do we take advantage of this to be people who would reveal Christ, not only so that they feel blessed today, but there may be some overflow of that blessing that would affect their families and their friends and their generations to come. And the overabundance of that that came from the book of Genesis that we read all the way through just continues through God's people as we get to be blessed to be a blessing to those around us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get lives like Jacob's, long lives that we get to look at and study and understand, even in his brokenness and in his weakness, even in the fact that it doesn't all play out the way we think it should sometimes, Lord. Somewhere along that line, we get a picture of you over and over and over. Blessing, loving your people, seeking to restore, putting pieces back together that are broken. Lord, we're so grateful for it. Lord, thank you that you surround us every day with people who need to hear your love and your grace. Lord, thank you that you remind us daily of the way that you love us, the grace you have for us, the hope that we have in you, the future we have in you. Lord, thank you for Jesus, for the sacrifice he made on the cross for us so that we might be a blessing to those around us, that we have hope of a future that we can share with others, freedom from sin. God, give us wisdom to listen to you. Give us patience to listen to you. Lord, give us courage to act in those things, to be sacrificial, to be intentional, to step out of our comfort zones, to bless and to love people well. Even we don't know exactly what to say, that we could lean into you and you would give us the words to say. And Lord, would the trickle down of that not only affect the individuals we do life closely with in our circles and our spheres, but would it affect, Lord, the generations to come? We trust that to you. We love you and we praise you. In your awesome name. Amen.